We are on a mission. A mission to save and revitalize independent pharmacy. On the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast, you'll get actionable business advice. Hear stories from industry leaders. And share a laugh or two with us. Fuel your passion for pharmacy. One conversation at a time. Four. Three. Two. One. Ignition. Welcome to the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Key, president of Pioneer X, and today I'm here with Marsha. Hi, I'm Marsha Bivens. I'm director of marketing for Pioneer X. Today we are here with Richard Brooke. He is a former SVP of Cells for Change Healthcare and now the owner of Richard K. Brooke Consulting. Longtime friend, way, way back, Richard Brooke. How's it way, going? Way. You realize that our way, way back isn't really way, way. We're, we're like in dog years. His, his way back goes way, way back, right? Yeah. When did, when did you start in pharmacy, the pharmacy world? In 1994. 1994. And what were you doing, Marsh, in 1994? I think I was in junior high. Well, I got married in 1977, Marsha, so we'll leave it at that. <laughs> 1977. Wow. What yep. was going on? I, I'm, I'm picturing you in a flower shirt. and There was an afro. There was, there was a big afro. There was the knick-knick shirt that people used to wear. Um, I didn't wear socks then, as I don't wear today. Uh, you have me in a collared shirt, which is a rarity. Interesting. Um, most recently. Yeah, I was thinking so, I meant to not wear socks today. I'm going to point out. So the afro, in the, the afro in the 70s, that was your cover photo for the longest time on Facebook. And I'm yeah, like, and it, wow, I love that it. That was interesting, Marcia. And int- a lot of people that I hadn't seen since college and high school um, saw that picture. And then it brought back memories. And, it, you know, it's interesting about social media. My wife is not a big fan of it, and I'm addicted to my phone and social media, so that always doesn't work out best for all of us. Well, I definitely enjoy seeing the uh, grandbaby pictures. He is so precious. And now we have the second one, which we haven't exposed that much, and he just turned eight weeks uh, today, actually. Wow. uh, Wow. We're moving fast. Time flies. Yeah, now are they both, you're in Fort Lauderdale? Is that right? I'm in, I'm in I'm in Hollywood. It happens to be my son and his wife and the two children literally live five minutes by car and a 30 minute walk. Um, huh? So we get to see them a lot. And um, my grandson, actually, my wife picks him up every day in the afternoon and we get to spend time with him. And I'm known. I thought I was going to be known as Pops. As most of you know, I like my Grey Goose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, now he calls me Papa. Papa. So uh, we'll fix that when he gets there. So really? we're pretty blessed. Pretty blessed. I don't think I mind Papa. You don't mind Papa? <laughs> Is that what your grandparent name will call what your No, it's going to be Big Daddy. Okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> big Daddy. I like that versus Big Papa. <laughs> uh, big Daddy. Oh, I'm getting from the control room that we talked earlier <laughs> about this. <laughs> yeah. I, I was told I have to be careful about profanity, and Madison didn't tell me that. I had others that I mentioned this morning. I, I think I the first bleep ever was me. I don't. Yeah, it was wild. Was it? I don't remember. It was like last time. I don't know what. I, I don't know. Huh. So, all right. So, give us a little, just forever for the, the world's context, as, as, as they get to know you over this last hour, kind of give us your kind of history. Um, maybe you can start 
um, start with a fro if you want, but but really talking about your your adult your career, your working career, kind of how you saw pharmacy change and kind of what you did. Your adult um, career. So when did you start adulting? Adulting. Well, well, I, I'm still not an adult. I'm 68 years old, and I don't profess to be that as well as my my adult children would say that I'm still the kid in the room. But actually, uh, interestingly enough, I did start in healthcare in 1976. Um, and I actually partnered with an ophthalmologist and by 1979, I became a licensed optician in the state of Florida. Um, so I was in healthcare early and then somehow later on related it to pharmacy. So I was in that business from 1976 to 1994, uh, before I joined ProxyMed. And during that time, uh, in the late eighties and early nineties, got involved with managed care. Okay. Uh, we were we were involved with uh, healthcare centers. We had another mm-hmm. company called Mobile Vision. We were one of the first companies that went out actually to nursing homes and long term care to examine the patients and work with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a full setup doing that. And while I was doing that, uh, um, a friend of mine who owned some of those medical centers and we were partners in uh, on the eye care side had started a company called ProxyMed in the early nineties, and, okay. and that's how I really got into the pharmacy business. And I'm going to say this word that ProxyMed was a pioneer in e-prescribing. This was way before SureScripts. Uh, and then also in the early 90s, Walgreens, Walmart, and other companies and Eckert's at the time had a product called Prescribe uh, that was owned by IBM ISSC. And okay. in 1997, we actually purchased the application from Walgreens. Wow. Okay. Okay. And, and what was that application at Walgreens? What did it do? So it was called prescribed. The way the original e-prescribing started okay. early was more about refills. So what occurred at that particular point in time was it's a small area in, in Tucson, Arizona, uh, where Walgreens is involved with it. They actually put an intercom product in the pharmacy and also had the intercom product in the physician's offices, which was called the Thomas Davis Center way back when. And actually, they literally uh, crazy glued down some keys so that the busy clinic could send refills back to Walgreens. And that was really the early birth of that. And then it became a much more robust product where it started to do new prescriptions as well. At ProxyMed, we had a product called ProxyScript uh, that was really interesting. We used to deliver the formularies on CDs and do things like that. And then when we purchased the product from Walgreens, it gave us the opportunity to work with physicians' offices throughout the country. Uh, and that was actually my early birth into the pharmacy world, which was in the mid-90s. Okay. So that was that was ProxyMed? Yeah. Now, now, did that go on to become SureScripts? Or is no, SureScripts actually, a totally different product? It was completely different. Uh, ProxyMed became a public company, interesting name. We were called Pill. Uh, and then what happened is in the we were really way ahead of ourselves. And then in the, um, before SureScripts was, uh, evolved, which obviously at that point it was put together by a whole group of, you know, a couple of chains prior to, um, what occurred with, um, SureScripts today and RX Hub. So we were out there working with that. And then eventually SureScripts came about. We were working with some of the large PBMs at the time. And people won't believe this, but an electronic prescript way back when, when it was sent to a mail order pharmacy, we were paid $4 oh, uh, wow. to be able wow. to do that. And that was early on. And then people recognized the fact that people started worrying about steerage and sending prescriptions to mail order. And it had nothing to do with that. It was about the physician wanting to send it to uh, mail order back at the time. So my birth 
is really in e-prescribing. Um, and I did that at ProxyMed for uh, several years, took a short break from healthcare, and then in uh, 19, I guess it was 99, um, yeah, or I think it was 1998 or 1999, I joined ERX, which had just been acquired by MDM. Okay, well, that answers my question. When when did you jump from the e-prescribing to the uh, uh, transactions? Uh, the ERX, estimates, that was yeah. George... Uh, George, uh, George Lazarby, yeah. company Lazarby that acquired yep. Mark Lyle's company, and a lot of people may be familiar with Mark and Murray Lyle. They had a company called Alwyn Data that was one of the first things with H1N1 that was doing early vaccines Okay, uh, when that occurred there. And those companies eventually merged prior to that. But when I joined the company in 1999, I was asked to bridge what was MDON at the time and ERX to bring them together since I knew a lot of the folks that were at MDON, uh, more on the clinical side initially. And then eventually one of the folks left uh, after a few months um, there, and I took over the sales at MDON back then. It was not ERX. It had been acquired by MDON. And up until um, this past year, um, last year, I ran sales and kind of business development for almost uh, 12 years at wow. ERX, MDON, slash Change Healthcare. And that's where we met, Jeff, when yeah. I convinced yeah. you years ago <laughs> Whatever uh, to it get was out of some at of the, the time. you were in. Uh-huh. Yeah. You're, you're many a, trips a space to we're back in. So. <laughs> yeah, the space we're back in. So yeah. my background with Jeff early on was when I took over the sales at ERX, MDON, slash Now Change Healthcare, uh, Jeff was working for a small company that wasn't called Pioneer at the time. It was a new tech computer uh, systems. I, I yes, remember your trips to Shreveport, and then it turned into our trips to Fort Worth. Yep. So, and, and really, then uh, we were one of the one of the networks. There was obviously another one out there, and now there's another one that uh, Pioneer is putting together today and growing that out. But early on, I had convinced Jeff at the time that he had a few direct connects to, hey, why don't you work with me and we'll figure this out to get you out of the direct connect business. And now it comes full circle. Now with Red Sale and Pioneer, that you folks are back entering into that space uh, potentially in a much broader way. Yeah. And that time, you know, we, we started off doing doing direct connects because, you know, you want to control your own destiny. Um, and, and really, we're trying to limit the amount of data. There have been a couple of scandals related to data in the marketplace. We're trying to uh, limit the amount of data that uh, that was out there. Probably naive at the time. But then, what what really started coming along that kind of changed things was the uh, a lot of things, a lot more things started happening on the switch, uh, e vouchers, uh, things like that that were going on, and and weren't at a size or a scale that that was a business we could we could be in. Um, so uh, it made a lot of sense. It was a win-win there. Um, it, it's funny how things continue to change over the time. So It, it is an interesting world. You know, you know what I find most interesting is what's really occurred over the last three years uh, with mergers and acquisitions and private equity. And I think where the whole healthcare space is changing is really in that way, um, where several years ago there were few – private companies that went to public companies in the space that we were at ERX, MD on, and now change healthcare, and now seeing the entrance over the last several years with private equity. Look at you guys with Franciscan Partners. Look at your other competitor out there with GTCR and then BlackRock 
and just so much taking place in this space today with people seeing the value of pharmacy mm-hmm. and actually seeing the value in the data if it's used in a proper de-identified way. Yeah. And that's, you know, a lot of times <clears throat> I go to a lot of places and, and, and pharmacists are like, well, you know, my data, where's my data going? And I hear there's money in data. And you're like, well, number one, it's probably not your data. 50% of, of pay, you know, of, is, of healthcare is government data. This is public health data. You know, this is data related to trying to make patients well. And, and second, the dollars aren't in data, they're in information. The information that comes together by people putting together a bunch of data and making information about it. Uh, people like HealthWise that are pulling, I think it's HealthWise, that are pulling uh, yes. pharmacy data along with healthcare data uh, and, and creating information out of it. Now, information is extremely valuable, but the data itself isn't. Uh, my wife's dad's a farmer, and there's a big difference between the cost of a loaf of bread than the price of grain, Right. The price of grain is really cheap. You know, you go to the grocery store. Oh, bread's up. Yeah. No, we're still getting paid nothing for for grain. So the the value is in the intellectual property that gets put in from converting grain um, into bread. I've never heard that analogy before, Jeff, but I kind of like that. I may use that one day. But but it is true. It's not about one part, one piece of data. It's about the combined data. And I think most recently, when you look at where that's at today with combining medical and pharmacy and some of the things taking place with value-based arrangements and value-based care. Yep. Um, it's going back to risk models where before it was capitated models in the past. And now you look at Medicare Advantage plans and where the whole market is swinging. But the data thing is really interesting what you said. It's not about one grain. It's not about one granular part of the data. It's about the combined data and then the analytics that are put on top of it. Yep. And it's about... And the and then doing that, putting the analytics on top of that, are about making pharmacy make a difference in the healthcare picture. You know, pharmacy is not making a difference in outcomes. There's not going to be a pharmacy, right? And, and so, you know, it, it, it's it's funny you say that. Um, with all the stuff where you look at the large private equity groups like the Franciscan Partners, you look at BlackRock, you look at public companies, what you know, companies like OmniCell. Uh, today and when you look at that with the most recent acquisitions of of what they did with FDS and then what they did most recently with Market Touch, so really it's really to your point earlier trying to combine all of those pieces and making it more valuable. And again, it goes back to patient care. Uh, it goes back to um, really one of the things that I really believe in. My daughter's a pharmacist, and I'll say to you, my future son-in-law is a pharmacist. And, um, you know, they, we haven't announced that yet, but we hope to one day soon. Uh, uh, does, but, does he know? Uh, you know <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure he knows or she knows, but I know that's what their goal and objective is. Uh, and, and they were dispensing pharmacists up until recently. And my daughter just changed her career. Uh, it's interesting that she just became a professor at Nova Southeastern University or known as NSU. So she switched after six or seven years on the bench to uh, really going to do future her career in education. And she was an assistant professor for a while there as well. And her significant other uh, also spent seven or eight years behind the bench and now is going to work with Eli Lilly uh, a little bit differently um, with what he's doing, both as a PharmD and a consultant pharmacist. So they took a spin from retail now to both education and also he's I would consider him an education too yeah. as far as working for a large drug manufacturer. That's is that, is that pharmacy? I mean what what was her driver in that? Did she see like 
just things that were missing in the education process that she thinks that she can bring back in? Well, I, I think it's her experience. I think that a lot of the professors um, and also the whole idea of what occurred recently with uh, what occurred in the pharmacy today with vaccines, with giving more care. Um, she mm-hmm. she knew that she didn't want to be behind the bench indefinitely. And she just had an opportunity. And while she was still working where she was, she was also a professor and taught a lab a pre-COVID where she would go in once a week and work with the students. Uh, as okay. well as did her boyfriend. So they kind of like the educational aspect of it. And I think also that long term, they wanted to do something different. They had great experience behind the counter. And I think that every pharmacist or coming out of school, I think it's a great education for them to actually interact with patients, to spend time, uh, to do unique things, counseling patients. And I think one of the things that I look forward to is truly, and we've been discussing this for years, as a pharmacist, as a provider, and I think as we put all this data together and all the things we're doing, it'll give them more information at their hand uh, to be able to readily do something. Now, that university, that's a that's a distance learning university, right? No, no, no. Uh, Nova Southeastern University is in Broward County. It's okay. one of the schools that offers medical, dental, optometry, ODMD, uh, has a big business school. They're one of the largest private institutions in the country that offer all the majors and they have a pretty large pharmacy school. Okay. And then most recently I took a role there as well. Um, the, I call it whatever they call me. I'm in charge of the, uh, we'll call it the pharmacy leadership council. Okay. I took that role on because I felt I could make a difference in help now. And I have some great people on that board with me. I have Richard Ashworth that used to be at Walgreens, uh, Dane Russ from Publix, some names that people might know in the pharmacy business. And we have some other ones that um, actually Richard did go to school there. Uh, Dane didn't, but he's in South Florida. And they want to be involved in curriculum planning uh, for uh, the students as they get out of school. And I bring a little bit different business acumen. Uh, I think the 12 or 14 people on our board, 12 of them are pharmacists. Um, so it's important that I bring a different perspective there and want to be able to change the way we educate and treat the students and, and, and educate the students so, with different programs. So you're on a board at a pharmacy school. Your daughter uh, teaches at a pharmacy school. You know, one of the things, if I look back two years ago, and the pharmacy career was kind of too many pharmacists. The pay rate of pharmacists was going down. There's too many everywhere. And all of a sudden, we wake up after this pandemic, and the after there is a, is a, uh, is a hopeful there after the pandemic yeah, yeah, yeah. and all of a sudden there's a shortage and, and, and pharmacy salaries are headed back up. What happened? Well, I, I think, I think there's a couple of things and we talk about that at the school as well. I think a lot of people kind of left the retail space and they were concerned about everything they were doing with vaccines and overworked and overburdened. And I think some of them had some concerns with um, Making sure there's no mistakes made, being able to do that. And they, you know, they worked very long and very hard hours and it was very difficult to find staff. So I think some people left. You could take a look at my daughter and my, they went yep. to do other parts, but that was always in their plan. They never felt that they wanted to be on the, on the street forever. But the interesting thing is, Jeff, if you bring a call years ago, they were given BMWs. Now they're given up to $50,000 for you to go and take a job. Um, yet, uh, with schools today, the enrollment dropped a little bit, and now it's back on the increase um, because there was a time, like you said, there was too many pharmacists, and right. the, the price, the, the fees mm-hmm. went down, and now it's gone full circle again. So, so uh, things that could have happened, right? 
the there were too many pharmacists, therefore the pay went down, therefore people didn't go into school, therefore less were made, therefore price went up, or we need more for some reason. We're doing vaccinations, we're doing more stuff, they're actually the pharmacy's hiring more. Or the third possibility is that the pharmacists out there decided they're out. Do, they decided to do something else. They just got out of it and and went into other types of business or started their own business or went into academia or went into, or you know you do hear PBMs and healthcare. A lot of people are hiring pharmacists at a tra- and putting them in non traditional roles. You know, doctors' offices are putting pharmacists in to do their um, some of their clinical programs. They get paid for. Any insight? Is it all of those or? I think that's very true. I think you've used a, a, an important word, non-traditional. There's so much more opportunity for pharmacists today other than getting behind the counter. You know, the old cliche, it's more mm-hmm. than putting pills in a bottle. It's more about research. It's more about all the clinical programs that are out there today with MTMs, medication therapy management, with adherence, compliance, and doing all of those things where pharmacists now could work from home and make the same or almost the same amount of money by consulting and by doing that, so I think more markets opens up where people left the retail space and went to do something else. Yeah. Yeah. Or they're at home doing um, virtual checks. They're just sitting there from a computer and looking at the pills and going, yes, this one's been checked and send it along. We, we have a huge shortage of GPs, mm-hmm. you know, coming upon us. It's just curious. I'd, I'd love to see some studies um, that says, where are they? Mm-hmm. Just like, where did all the pharmacy techs go? You know, they work in online for Amazon. Um, you know, just have this huge shortage. I think uh, it's all like some massive number. I don't know what, what it was like. Like CVS or Walgreens reported that they were 15. There, It was a massive number. Yeah, it was like 15, 30, some big number uh, of. That of, they said they were short, short of, of pharmacy techs. Yeah. Yeah. And again, they, they raised, the, you know, again, uh, because of two things, the economy, because of the shortage, the pharmacy tech role. And also, listen, whoever thought the pharmacy techs would be giving vaccines, right? Mm-hmm. right. Pharmacy techs used to be in the behind the counter doing stuff and taking complaints, uh, helping out the pharmacist the best they can. And then because of what occurred with the pandemic, look at look at the role of the technician now yep. mm-hmm. being able to vaccinate patients. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and you, you brought up again a couple of things. I think it's changing. Marsha, you could sit at home today and you could be doing telepharmacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's companies today with physician dispensing. They're not even doing physician dispensing. They're doing no, they're, other they're doing MD roles. box. Yep. So, so that's, that, that's changing. You know, Jeff, you also brought up, uh, you know, PillPack, GoodRx, and you look at the market there and Amazon entering the space and GoodRx, what they were doing earlier. And then they acquired ScriptCycle. They acquired another company. And, and, you know, that's making a difference as well, especially for uh, certain patients. And you look at PillPack today, who's now being Amazon with some changes that have taken place there with two of the keys that originally were at PillPack and moved to consultant roles, uh, Elliot and TJ. And, you know, Amazon is putting their complete signature on there and they brought in some pretty good folks from the pharmacy industry as well. Uh, other than Elliot and TJ were great, you know, as they came up with PillPack and how uh, they were acquired. Then you look at the good RXs of the world and all the companies there, and you you see the the continued marketing on television and the space that they fulfill as well uh, between the card space, which whoever thought it would be such a big thing the way it is today. Yeah, as well. it's interesting though, as as you see. Um Good RX try to get into other markets. You know, that's the, when you get a certain size, you're a public company, you're always trying to, how do I make more money? 
And and now that they're integrated into telehealth, you're starting to see some problems. You know, um, how are they going to end up clashing heads with CVS, right? Who wants to be clinical, right? Why am I pushing you GoodRx when you're trying to drive people to this GoodRx gold? Um, you know, all these doctor offices who have the the GoodRx card in them, you know, like, hey, you know, well, don't, do you know they're probably one of the largest primary care companies in the country? Um, well, you know, again, you talk about healthcare as a destination, right? You look at, mm-hmm. you know, CVS closing a thousand stores. Uh, they didn't have to have one at every corner. Um, they're making themselves more of a healthcare destination. So people might drive a little bit more as they start to evolve. You look at Walgreens recent acquisition. You look at some of the, you know, the other cards out in the space. You look at Medicare Part D where uh, what your premium is. Is it is it better to use Medicare Part D or is it better to use uh, a discount card? Uh, and, and the way discount cards work today is, you know, you get the best value either staying within house or going across the street. But everybody is starting to come together and everybody, it's the old word I used to usually go co-opetition. Right. Uh, where this is going and, and, you know, go to RX with telemedicine and looking at adjacent markets and you look at CVS and Walgreens as, as destination hubs. And you look what, you know, companies like HEB have done for years in, in Texas, uh, uh, where they have had, of the clinics inside and then about well care. So the market is changing considerably. And I think we're seeing it right before our eyes, what occurred in the last few years uh, and, and where it's continuing to evolve too. Well, with, all, with, with your, you know, you've been around a long time, talked to now you're doing consulting, um, probably interacting with a lot of different companies. What, what it should, what should a community pharmacy and independent pharmacist what, who owns a store, what should they be doing? What did they, what did, should they be working on? Well, I think the first thing is we need to make sure the reimbursement is, is, is fixed. And I know people have tried to do that. I know NCPA and ACDS and all of the other things there as far as DIR reform. And I think we're making headway. Uh, and I think that's the first thing to make sure that they're uh, um, making sure they're getting the best they can when it comes to reimbursement. I think the independent pharmacy needs to make sure they pick the right PSAO mm-hmm. that they feel comfortable with. That's going to negotiate with them. And I also think that uh, an independent pharmacy needs to get involved back to community base where they could potentially make a difference and to go back out again years like they did in the past to go out and speak to the community about yep. bringing them into mm-hmm. the, their thing. And there's organizations out there like TPSEN and other ones when it comes to clinical outcomes and things like that. And they need to continue to do that. Um, you know. Companies like Change Healthcare that I still consult for, you know, the clinical product, and there's several other companies out there that are doing that. And I think they need to look at that uh, as far as what they could do. Just sitting there putting pills in a bottle and worried about DAR and worried about clawbacks and worried about getting cut out of network, I think they need to look at that. And I think they also need to uh, spend as much time as they can, even though it's costly, with the patient. Um, and, and again, it's still trying to balance all of those things. But I'm going to kind of add on to what Jeff asked, and you've been kind of saying in the background, but that's and that we've also heard from other pharmacists who've um, had a very successful and thriving uh, store, and that's they've got to get out from behind the bench and, you know, get these med students in and let them get their years of bench experience while you're growing the business. So I think that's the biggest thing. Like Eric Larson is the biggest coach on that is that get out from behind the bench. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what people do. Um, 
even though I, I talked to one pharmacist this last week, they paid a million dollars in DRR fees last year, million dollars. Um, had it not been, um, and another guy I talked to had a long-term pharmacy that would have lost money last year without COVID testing. So, you know, kind of this last year, COVID testing and vaccines have kind of helped, um, but kind of help them get their books back in order and fix some of their bad debt and stuff. But the question now is, well, what are you going to do next year? You know, what are you going to do next year to make it? So I think that's a well point. You know, I talk to a lot of the pharmacy chains. I talk to some independents, talk to independent pharmacy vendors all the time. And unfortunately or fortunately, because of COVID, those numbers were fictitious. So they grew tremendously to your point, Jeff, last year. Well, how are they going to keep that up or how are they going to do that? And I think there's going to be a rude awakening. And, you know, listen, we hope the pandemic goes away. I know we talked about a fourth vaccine. We talk about future like flu uh, every once in a while, every year or two, getting a vaccine for that. But I think that's going to go away or it's going to go to the sideline temporarily. Mm -hmm. And they need to figure out where else they're going to make additional money. And I think uh, to your point, Marsha, by them coming out of the counter, by them spending more time with the patient, working things out with local payers mm-hmm. uh, um, and, and doing some stuff there. You know, Christian, I'm not sure, Tadras from um, St. Louis is working on some things as well. NCPDP, where I'm still involved on the foundation board, uh, we're looking at value-based care and how standards could help promote that. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that's where all of this is going because it's not – putting pills in a bottle anymore because you won't survive uh, mm-hmm. doing that because uh, the cost of labor is going to go up. The cost of the pharmacist is going to go up mm-hmm. uh, uh, and all of those things to your point earlier, Jeff, are going to keep on increasing and they have to figure out how they're going to balance the future earnings uh, and what they're doing today. Uh, you know, again, we bring up DIR all the time. I know how important that is to NCPA and NACDS and how every pharmacist themselves on the corner. You know, I'm not sure where that's going to go because, as people say, the PBMs will find another avenue to figure out where they can make more money to replace the money that's gone from DIR. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that's what people are going to say. OK, they fixed this first mousetrap. What's the next mousetrap going to be? Yeah. I know. What's your thoughts on that? Jeff and Marshall? They're definitely going to find a way to go. Great. You're starting to do this new thing. I, now you got to pay the piper. Well, and there's the definitely going to be something that comes out. The biggest problem, the first problem you solve by a DIR occurring at the point of sale or through the adjudication, right, where I know how much I'm going to do, is it, it is these laws coming around that say you can't sell below my cost. Now that's kind of obscured because the DRR's fees come out 12 months later. Uh, I don't know that I'm selling below my cost. Now, you could argue they, they try to put into contracts that PBM says you have to sell them to it anyway, but... I'm telling you what, me as a pharmacist, if it comes up and is below my cost to buy it, I'm out of stock, right? I just, you, you can't be selling things for lower than what it costs you to make them. And I, as a business owner, need the opportunity to be able to do that. I need DR fees to happen. If they're going to happen, that fee should be in the, the transaction. At, at, in the transaction. It shouldn't be something that happens 12 months later that I haven't prepared for, that's obscure calculations and make it difficult. You know, at, at Pioneer, we've, we've done a lot to help estimate those DRR fees where you can put stuff in there. Uh, we just did a new release to handle the new weird, weird ways they're calculating DRR fees and GER and all this other kind of stuff um, this year. But I, but I do think, yes, I think they're going to try to take that money, but I think there's a big difference between that happening way later 
and happening closer to the point that that I'm dispensing where I can make decisions about about my business. You, you, if you look at, you know, as far as us for sales, for Pioneer, we have daily goals, right? We know when we're behind today. If I had an annual goal with no dashboards, I'd be sitting here going, how am I doing, right? Am I winning? Am I losing? Am I ahead? Am I behind? And that allows you to do things to make surges and things like that. And so if I know in January as a pharmacist and my DRR fees came in when they should, and I know, hey, I'm $10,000 in the hole, what am I going to do? I got to cut back on my hours. I got to, you know, I, I need to adjust. It's very, very hard to adjust 12 months later for something that happened yeah. today. You, you know, it's interesting. No other business is like that, right? Yeah, none. Uh, no other business is like that. And Well, uh, except for the days when the guys would come around in New York and shake you down for well, that's you a whole didn't other know what you're going to get. But... I mean, Vinny Goombats and a few yeah. other guys I used to know. They used to go to the candy store. But, but seriously, going back to your point, no business operates like that. You think last month you made $100 or you made $100,000, and then all of a sudden, nine months later, I lost money. Uh, they took it back. How am I going to pay my rent? What am I going to do? And there's so many horror stories out there of small independent guys that didn't calculate it, uh, didn't use a service like you have or services other companies have that tries to predict DIR. They just didn't have it. And then they couldn't make their payments and they closed the doors. I, I think the, the other thing we're seeing now is uh, we don't see as much um, independence disappearing. Uh, I think that's calmed down a little bit. I think that we don't see as many uh, large chains buying up the independence and buying yep. up the records. Uh, that slowed down considerably over two years, and I'm not sure if that's due to COVID, uh, but we've seen a downturn in that. We've seen the independent striving if they do things correctly and if they pay attention to their business. And again, it's about making good decisions. Um, and about keeping it, there's so many wonderful family stories that you guys see and I see at NTPA or at the ABC show or other wholesale shows about how they make a difference in the community and the leading pharmacists, what they do. There's so many great people, uh, in the unit pharmacy as well as community pharmacy, even in, in the large chains as well that are dedicated to what they could do. But the difference is with independence, they're independent and they could do what they can. For themselves and for their family because it's, it's independently owned uh, versus that. So I think the points are for independent pharmacies to get involved with your community, really start to look in value-based care, see how many programs you could participate with medication therapy management adherence. And to your point, Marsha, the more they can get out from the counter, mm -hmm. talk to the patient, then that patient's going to talk to another patient, say, hey, I was at my pharmacy today and they helped me with my medication. They asked me, did I get my vaccine? Did I get my Pneumovax? Did I get my, you know, Prevnar? Uh, and then we're going to see more of that. So I think there's more opportunity for that. Right. But again, it's getting involved. To your point, Jeff, how are you going to survive? You got to get back on the street. Yeah. Yep. Back behind the counter. So, so, you know, we have upcoming meetings. We have NACDS coming up. We have NCPDP. You know, NCPA was just there. Uh, mm -hmm. I was at NACDS regional for a while. So people getting back on the street, uh, people going to meetings again. Uh, as of March 1st, um, a lot of things are opening up. Yep. Yes. Um, I went to the eye it. doctor this morning and walked in with my mask and like none of them have masks. And are like, are we done with this? They were like, yep. I was like, all right. <laughs> yeah, so, so it's interesting. So I think I think we, we have the opportunity. I think one of the best things about meetings is uh, collaborating and commiserating uh, with with your with your 
with your competition and everybody's out there for the good of God or the good of all to be to help uh, and to go back to community pharmacy. And it's about patient care. Um, and I think we're going to have an opportunity for people to meet again. Uh, Jeff, I know you were just at recent meetings and you guys continue at Pioneer uh, to get out there. Um, and we see a lot taking place with, with back face to face. And one of the other things that I'm doing, uh, and I have, I'm so used to moving around, Jeff, you know that walking on stage, I'm sitting here in one spot. You know, there's a lot taking place in, in the Medicare world today with Medicare Part D. There's a lot of noise now about Medicare Advantage programs out there today. And I spoke to you and we're working with your organization about OTCs. You know, you start to see things, especially in Florida and other areas where Medicare Advantage now are giving over the counter benefits, healthy grocery benefits. So it's, it, that's changing as well. Um, where people are getting allowances each month to do that. I just recently went to Medicare, uh, and also picked a Medicare Part D. I had no idea the expense of that. I never thought about it. So people are really looking into Medicare and Medicare Part D. And I did my own research, which was scary. I didn't ask somebody else to do it for me about picking a Part D plan. Interesting. And picking your pharmacy. So, uh, I have a lot of friends that are joining, uh, of Medicare. I know you guys got three or four decades before you get there. Uh, but, that's one of the other things that I find interesting, how the market is changing uh, when it comes to at risk, when it comes to advantage plans, when it comes to Medicare Part D plans, where somebody like myself was getting potentially free medication, yet I looked at my, which card could I get the best rate? Do I use my Medicare Part D? I have a high deductible. So I think we're going to, one of the things that independent pharmacies have the opportunity to do as well as change is to educate the consumer when they come in when it comes to time like that, which you're going to find when you go to say, what did my medications on? Which is the best Medicare Part D plan? Occasionally use a card versus the plan because of things like that. So that's another advantage to the independent pharmacy. On the Medicare Part D, if you pay with cash because it's cheaper, can you somehow send that into somebody and have that apply toward your deductible? Well, there are companies looking at that today as we speak that they would take advantage of using a discount card or paying cash that somehow you would show them that. Uh, and people looking at trying to figure out how the, how the consumer or the Medicare recipient could be able to take advantage of that. So stay tuned on that. There's early thoughts going on with that, that even if you used a discount card or used a card, that information get reported back to the plan. So that that could go towards you because the consumer paid the best price. But today, if you sent a, took the receipt and sent it back to your Part D plan, they wouldn't count that towards your deductible. I, I, I don't I don't know the answer to that, uh, um, but that's a good question. I'm going to look into that. By the way, yeah, it'd be super uh, interesting because you can imagine if they did the pharmacy doing something to help them with that, right? Somehow, that's a great even, move. even if it was paper. But that'd be cool, you know, if you could somehow and you could somehow bring that together, um, someplace. I'm just thinking out loud, like at a switch or something like that, and. And report that back for the patients themselves. They didn't have to do it. Yeah, that's a great idea. And, and one of the companies I'm talking to is looking at doing something like that as well, where you could report that back, uh, that you could take advantage of that. And that's the other thing, too, where people are looking about where your deductible, where your donut hole, where does all of that stuff apply? Because uh, most of the time the consumer is caught not understanding, well, what do I have to pay for this now? What do I have to do that? Um, but going back to the independent pharmacy, I think there's there's plenty of companies out there that help you select, which is the best mm -hmm. thing for you. And listen, I went online and I, I, I take four medications 
uh, and I put in your four medications, it almost shows you which is the best plan to go to and which pharmacies support that at the best price. You went online, the Medicare Part D's li- online? Yep. Medicare.gov. And again, there's other companies that do that for you Okay. that we know of that um, you have software to do that in the store. I just did it myself because I was, I was more curious okay. how that w- it was because I had no idea. I had no idea what Medicare cost. I had no idea what Part D cost. I had no idea what a supplemental. And I'm in the business. And I didn't, I didn't know that. So I think, um, uh, again, getting back to the pharmacist, they could help uh, um, the consumer. Also, take another spot for an independent pharmacy, and you have plenty of them that use your software as well as use other people's software. Long-term care. How could they assist locally, especially in rural communities, as more and more baby boomers are, are ending up in long-term care or need some type of packaged medications? You know, similar to what a lot of people do today. And I think that the independent pharmacist or community pharmacist needs to take advantage of that and to do something similar like the big boys are doing out there to help them as well. Because uh, I, I put in my Monday to Sunday and I fill my own thing. I, and, you know, it'd be pretty interesting because I take supplements, I take vitamins. But again, even at your local pharmacy, uh, it's important to do that as well. It looks like we're overdue for another visit to come to Florida and see you. So it's it's been a year. Has it been a year? Really? We went last March. Yeah. Are you going anywhere? Are you going to Cardinal, Amerisource, yeah, NCPA? I'm going, to ask. I'm going to NACDS Annual. You'll be at NACDS uh, Annual. Is that the one? We got a That's total. That's in April to Breakers. Annuals yeah. in April. Yeah, we so got a total. regionals in February, annuals in April, and then uh, total stores in, in August. August. Yeah, we got a total store. You're going to go to and Breakers then, and sit around the pool and... Well, I'm 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 going to go there as Richard Kleinbrook Associates. Um, I am helping out a few different companies, but I don't think it's right for me to go under one company and talk about the other ones. Yeah. So um, that's not my personality, as you guys know. Um, right. So I'm going there representing myself, and I'll talk to people when I think it's necessary about the different things I'm doing. I'll be at NCPDP again. I'm very active there yep. as a board mm-hmm. member. Yep. Uh, for six years, just passed uh, 25 years and active on their foundation. Congratulations. Uh, then I'll be at TSE. I'll be at ABC. It depends how much my wife wants me to leave or she may want to come with me. Um, so, so that's really where I'm at when it comes to that. But listen, Florida is not too far from you. I, I mentioned to Madison, I know we're about out of time, that if I wasn't going to California on Friday, I was going to come there because I didn't want to hook this up. I was oh, just do it in person? Box. Just do it in that person. I was going to come with my box. And say, guys, I don't want to do this and show up at your door. Oh, that would have been uh, fun. Since I'm going Friday, uh, and listen, we've had some great dinners together, and we've yeah. had some great oh, yeah. experiences over the years. Uh, we'll leave it at that, Jeff and Marsha. Uh, yes. Some late nights. Yeah, so, a so lot of great dinners, we originally envisioned having people down to do podcasts. That was, uh, and then of course the pandemic hit, and 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 thank goodness uh, it was an extension of, of how we can connect with people that we were missing. Um, uh, through podcast and uh, getting to let other people who are missing people sharing in our conversations and yeah. be part of it. Uh, so it, well, it really I mean, has been a godsend. A lot of, we, we used to have a lot of really interesting conversations, um, either trade show floor or at dinner with you or other vendors like you. And we, we lost that during the pandemic. And so we replaced trade shows with the podcast. Uh, and I've listened to a few of them. I listened to, we always call Craig with a K. Yep. I've listened to the Doug Hoy. I've listened to other ones. So, no, it, it's it's very popular. And um hope I can add some 
additional people to your audience. Yeah. And not oh, just because I'm on here because they could come and listen to the next ones. Of course, they want to see me as well. That's right. Uh, oh, yeah, of course. Uh, so um, what are you doing? Uh, what's the next vacation you're on? I think the last time I saw he was on a horse. Was that they were down? Yeah, yeah we were in uh, I was in uh, Turks and Caicos. Uh, we've been we go there frequently. So actually, on Friday, we're heading to California um, and we're surprising my mom. It's her 93rd birthday. Then we're actually driving from L.A. either Monday or Tuesday to Scottsdale. And then we're going to be spend a day or two there with some family. And then on Wednesday, we're heading to Sedona. Nice. Oh, wow. So okay. pretty. So we'll be in Sedona through Wednesday through Sunday, actually going to a wedding uh, there over the weekend. Um, so that's going to be nice. Um, so I'm excited about that. And then I promised my wife, uh, she's not here, thank goodness, uh, that we're looking back because we were going to go, we were going to go to the Moab, Utah and do the river. Um, and hopefully okay. I can get that plan for this year. And they have what's known as a white linen, uh, where you, uh, go in the rafts and it's not really heavy river rafting. And every time you stop, Jeff and Marsh, you'll appreciate that. They have everything set up and nice. you eat on white yeah. linen. The, the so it's called a white linen river raft. I think I've heard something about that. I mean, we've done something similar, but it was a helicopter down into the Grand Canyon. And then it was like picnic basket lunches. Um, But And that was an an experience in itself, being down inside the Grand Canyon. Yeah, Moab Moab's supposed to be great. My wife has done the Grand Canyon several times without me. Uh, She's taken my daughter. We go to uh, lots of ABC shows and shows that have been in Vegas. And she does all the helicopter tours in Grand Canyon. So we're going to go to Flagstaff. We're going to do some hiking as much as we can uh, and just uh, take advantage of the Sedona and maybe some of the mystical stuff and get back to my inner being if that's at all possible. Nice. Yeah, I saw something recently on TikTok and it was Arizona and it was called The Wave. Okay. And it's this area to hike in Arizona and it just looks like like all the rocks are just, I'll have to find it and send it to you. But it was just really gorgeous and it's like, okay, if, if it wasn't, crazy hot i would probably walk through that but i mean sedona's not crazy hot it's cold actually now and actually yeah. in flank yeah in the teeth. yeah because so they're up more there, elevation uh, phoenix is crazy hot okay yeah, yeah. i tell you one so, thing we're noticing is uh airline prices have gone through the roof like so nuts. yeah we're looking at you know like two or three times what they were just a couple of weeks ago uh um, so where are you where are you heading jeff where are you heading marcia next well, the thing that I'm currently looking at booking is Mackenzie's going to go to SCAD for the summer, Savannah College of Art and Design. Mackenzie, her daughter. Um, yes. Yes, my daughter. And uh, she signed up for two weeks last night. So she's got four sessions that she's got picked out. So I was looking at, okay, how are we going to get you there? And because she's a minor, so that's another 150 on the ticket. So I finally figured out how to perfectly round robin everybody. So everybody stays on one ticket. And like normally a flight to Savannah, I think last time it was like 300, less than 300. And when I looked at the flight options today, it was like 700. Yeah. And we're talking July. July. And you look at the seats in the plane, it's fully open. Yeah. Um, we're looking at New Orleans. New Orleans. $200 from yeah. Dallas a month ago and is now four or six. And so where, I think where it, when's the pioneer show June 16th through the 19th in Nashville, Tennessee, Nashville, Tennessee. I'll send you your invitation. There. Yes, we did. We had a great dinner there just as well. Yes. <laughs> yes. A lot of states. Who state. are, um, so give us some ideas of some of the people you're consulting for today, unless it's super secret. Well, I'll, I'll tell you how I love one of them is a company called nation's benefits. That's in the Medicare supplemental 
a business where they're helping me. It's really what I'm doing is introducing them to folks I know and discussing strategy with them. It's really more of a, a consultative discussion. I hate to use the word you're a consultant, but it's really discussions with them, doing some introductions, uh, trying to uh, speed up what they're trying to accomplish. And uh, this whole thing with OTC, with a lot of independent vendors are not in this space today. A lot of independents, the big boxes are there. So that's why we're having discussions within your group and several other ones. So that's one of them, helping that. So when a consumer walks in like an FSA or an HSA, they could either get that or also healthy groceries. Uh, another company I'm helping uh, is uh, my friend Jack's company, Jack Guinan, who some of you may know that's doing some stuff with okay. um, Transact RX. Okay. That's doing some work on the with one of the products and programs they have today, which is known as XB, which is really moving some of the brown bagging and white bagging, which has to do with moving certain medications where the patients get them directly and then they go then they go to have it infused. Okay. So they're trying to talk. There's a lot going on there. And they're a medical going, billing company, right? Transact RX. Okay. From, correct. Medical billing to pharmacy building there and taking the changing the benefit because it's much better. For the consumer, it's much better for the health plan uh, to be able to move that potentially across there uh, and helping them out in that now, space. Now, are they going to work with with pharmacy vendors? Or they're going to work mostly. It's mostly with it's mostly medical and then pharmacy with the okay. way they do business today. All right. So nothing will change there. They're one of the companies that goes from uh, they do both from medical to pharmacy and pharmacy to medical, where the change healthcare does mostly pharmacy to medical. So they're doing some of that today, and they're able to do medical billing. Uh, another company I'm helping out is in the, the card space, just giving them some advice there. Credit um, cards, payment? Yeah, the card yeah. space, uh, the discount card space, but they oh, have a unique card. model. Okay. Uh, and then another one is really interesting that I spoke to you about is that there's a lot now going on today. It's a company called Authvia, which is text to pay, and they're PCI compliant, and really that whole space where patients get on their cell phone. It says, hey, your prescription's ready, and then they do uh, text to to pay. So I'm helping them out again, introducing them to pharmacy and they're starting to grow that business. They hired additional folks, hired pharmacists. So I'm helping them. So all four of those, plus I'm helping change healthcare. I give them advice. Uh, I, I worked for them for almost 12 years. And one day, uh, July 14th or June 14th of last year, I was a full-time employee SVP. The next day I was a consultant for them. So um, I'm helping them. They're coming out with a clinical product that they had before, much more enhanced to do MTM and, and really um, we call it targeted patient interventions and doing some stuff like that uh, where we work directly with through the pharmacy system. And then we're coming up with an APIs to work outside of EPS or the PDX world. OK, is that so this is a this is you're working with PDX? Yeah, it's, it's on that side of the business. It's still obviously part of Change Healthcare, but it was the, their original uh, application that was called CareRx. Okay. That now is called ConvergeRx, and so you're we're building to that put out. In the switch. Yeah, and and we're going to do a lot of work with again, again, Change Healthcare has all the medical payers work with mm -hmm. health plans, looking at HEDIS measures, uh, and being able to work with pharmacies directly. Now, is uh, that a kind of a Outcomes competitor is that is who that well, competitor would be it, in that space? A little bit different because I think the difference there is they're directly integrated into the 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 pharmacies using EPS, so there's no APIs that's directly integrated there. But again, we'll be also doing APIs as well with outside of EPS. But right now, uh, the current offering is with EPS and it's pretty strong, and we'll be bringing that out to market over the next few months. So I'm helping that, uh, getting back into working with the payers on the medical side and 
health plans and circling all back again to value-based care and at risk because yep. um, I think the market's going to go there over the next several years. I think our children, Madison and, and your children, Jeff, will be really looking at how they manage their own health care. And I think that's what's going to occur. People can be given X amount of dollars per month to stay healthy, or if they not stay healthy, they're going to be pinged. Uh, and I think we're really going to look at value-based care down the road when it comes to medical, pharmacy, and every other type thing. So we're positioning ourselves and uh, other groups I'm working with are looking at that. What's the future look like? It's interesting. I mean, they tried doing that with um, pharmacies early on with Five Star going, hey, you take care of a lot of patients. How about we give you another 500? I mean, that's, isn't that what Bob Lomanak? Yeah, I mean, there, there definitely have been pharmacies that are doing well that PBMs have tried to steer some of their customers to because uh, to try to get their five-star ratings up, you know, where they have difficult yeah. populations. Uh, I think that's the piece, too. Like we talked about, again, I always love go back to the pharmacist as a provider and doing all of these things. Um, but that's the only way you're going to, I believe, long-term. And, Jeff, we've had this discussion. Unless you reinvent yourself, I know you guys did it pioneer with um, recent acquisitions and mergers and private equity. You're reinventing yourself uh, to figure out how you could, you know, bring the best value for your shareholders and bring the best value for your uh, um, people that use your software as well as best for the patient. Well, you're in a Uh, world where you have to have a certain size in order to serve your customers. You know, I don't know how, uh, you know, you see some of these new, there's some new uh, pharmacy system in CPA that has 14 customers. You know, you're like, how are you, you know, you, you cannot serve those customers are going to be at a disservice. And, and I know you like to think about, hey, well, you know, he's a small guy like me, but it's still a disservice. There, there are a lot of things that it's going to take. Resources, you know, we're still out spending. Um, a lot of our competitors have gone through the, the potential sale process. And, um, you know, we're out spending all of our competitors on research and development. And we got to continue that. And that's that, that's that reinventing yourself. Well, and You've we're actually, be, me and you are actually spending time in the pharmacy talking to them, learning what they're doing and how they're doing it and going, why did we make them do that? And you don't see that a lot with any of our competitors. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what this, this next year is going to be a very telling. I think this is a, I don't know what the word would be for that, but I think this will be a very good year that measures what people do with some of the money they made with COVID testing and things like that. What, what they, how they invest that. Um, the downside is that comes with the staff shortage so that their ability to get out, to pay somebody, to let them get out from behind the bench to invest in the community is harder because there's nobody, you know, you're, you're waving the money and nobody's showing up. Um, yeah. And, and we're all seeing those struggles. I mean, we're, we've even had struggles trying to find people to fill spots, but we did successfully finally just found right we went national yeah we ha- we finally had to go national because we've been having a hard time finding people for support um and we finally just hired what 15 10 15 new in january and are they all virtual at this point yeah we had to we had to start roping yeah. in national i'm not sure if all 15 are virtual but we definitely yeah. opened up national to get imagine we got a couple local but the the positive deal is that and and we had okay and here's a great example small Hiring people in multiple states was a huge burden because you got to handle their employment taxes and all yeah. this stuff that relates well, to every different state laws. and employment laws and all those rules. 
being part of a bigger company, you have the resources now that that's not as big an issue, right? You have, you already have to handle the laws in all those states because you have 40, 50, 80, 100 pharmacy systems. And, and so those are things a little guy can't do. And, and hiring nationally is allowing us to hire better, right? Because you have a better, better, more experienced pool to hire from. Um, the downside of that, they're more expensive, right? You're going to hire a better, more experienced person. They're, they're more expensive depending on where they are. Um, but their cost of living and so on. So we'll see. Yeah. We got with, with COVID sicknesses and people out and, um, and having trouble hiring people to, you know, because we have ratios we have to maintain. We're growing. It's not like you're just losing a bunch of people. Um, you know, we had gotten with some hard call times uh, in January and February. Yeah, you know, but- you know, you brought up the point about, you know, the small vendor that survived uh, that has 14 or 100. I think uh, some of them will continue, but I think they're going to have it'll be interesting in the future because, again, you have the new telecom standard. They're switching to JSON. Uh, you know, there's going to be a lot more information within the transaction, as you guys know, more so that then the patient, uh, there'll be more information about the individual patient. There'll be some of the stuff in there that we tried to do with uh, CCD documents where there's some information in there. And I think the new transactions that NTPDP is coming up with will add to that, will add to seeing more more information readily at the pharmacy system. And they're going to have to be able to ingest all of that stuff, yep. as you well know, over the next couple of years. So when do you think a that'll happen? Redesign of the system. When do you think that'll happen? When do you think that new twenty twenty five? Everybody's planning for that, and you could follow along with NCPDP that when they start to do that, and it's three years from now, and people are already starting to plan uh, where they're looking at that and switching. You know, trying to one of the things is with standards they move slow. Yep. Uh, and. Um, one of the things that we're trying to do at NCPDP with even fund, uh, funding some stuff through the foundation is how do we move these things? How do we accelerate them? Yeah. How do we get faster because of getting through the government uh, uh, and, and what you need to do to be able to have an approved standard? A lot of it has to do with Medicare and doing that. But I think that'll be a big change uh, with the standard that they can move quicker and make changes uh, uh, with that. So I think that'll be a challenge for some of the smaller vendors moving forward that they need to start planning and get the right people to switch what their telecom standard, what they're moving to today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think we we're out of time. Hour. I think yes. uh, it was fun. That was, went by fast. Um, we definitely need to get down to see you. I think, I think this we is the were first conversation so. that did not end up in tequila shots with Richard. Or, 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 or <laughs> some other stories. things. We'll leave it. No, I, I, I appreciate your time. You know, I appreciate you listening to me. You know, no, I'm, it's fun. I've always had the opportunity to meet with you, Jeff. We've had some very candid conversations. We always agree to disagree, but we always left giving hugs and kisses. Uh, mm-hmm. And we were good with that. And I think that's one of the things people are missing today. Yeah. I think it's more young people are introduced into our industry. They miss the interaction. Uh, it's all about relationships. Mm-hmm. It's not always about going through procurement. And I think that's the touch that we need to get back uh, with, 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 with friends and partnerships like we've had forever and, and knowing each other, knowing the good and the bad, knowing about the family, knowing about all those things. I think, uh, I think the next generation is going to be challenged uh, with, without as much interaction uh, and getting out. And hopefully they can get out in the street sooner than later and we see that happening in the pharmacy business. Yeah. All right. Well, enjoy Sedona. I'll be jealous. We'll sure we'll, we'll be watching for pictures on Facebook. Yes. You'll see it there. All right. Great All right. seeing you both, and thank you for the opportunity. Yep. Thank you, Richard. Bye-bye. Right. Peace Bye-bye. out. Thank you for watching the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, subscribe, and follow us wherever you get your podcast. 
Give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts to help us reach more pharmacy professionals like you.